Hi, Scott and John here. Yeah, folks, the world is fast approaching the end game, and we are trying to expose the upcoming deception before time runs out. We want to make this a full-time goal, and we need your support to fight the satanic global elite. So here's how you can help. Subscribe to the new Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast to listen to every episode ad-free. Plus, get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to a new community forum. Sure. So just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com or you can click the uh, link in the show notes to get started today. Thanks again. Welcome to Bible Mysteries. You're listening to episode 50, Leviathan, part 2. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? Are you ready to take the red pill? And now, here are your hosts, Scott and Zena. Welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. Good afternoon, Zena. Hello, Pastor Scott. How are you today? I'm doing good about yourself. I'm doing great. Thank you very much. We are heading into this second part of a series on Leviathan. What do you think so far? Uh, it's an interesting topic. Yeah. This dragon, this uh, sea monster, and we're finding out he's sort of symbolic of something else. So we were seeing that seven-headed dragon in the book of Revelation, mm -hmm. tying that into this whatever mythological or real or something creature that existed in the past, but is a picture of Satan and his empire. And we left off last week, we were seeing uh, a city uh, that he had, Babylon, mm -hmm. Mystery Babylon. And so we're going to go a little deeper into that kingdom. Leviathan has a kingdom. Okay. And it's interesting, there's a reference to seven mountains. So we'll find out that mountains in the Bible represent kingdoms or authority or something. And so we'll go back to Revelation 17, because that's where we were last, talking about the mother of harlots. And she was the woman that was sitting on the scarlet-colored beast mm -hmm. who was in the wilderness, and it had seven heads, and it was basically the dragon uh, gave it its power. So we'll pick up in verse 9. Because here, John, the author of Revelation, is being given the understanding. He sees the vision, but he doesn't know what it means. So the angel of the Lord is telling him the meaning. He says, here is the mind, verse 9, which hath wisdom. The seven heads of the dragon are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And a lot of people have tried to interpret that that means that the city Babylon, mystery Babylon, is a city situated on seven mountains, like one city with seven mountains. Mm -hmm. There's really not a physical location that matches that description, so it's meant to be symbolic. But some have concluded that Rome has seven hills. Yeah. So they think Rome is Mystery Babylon, and hence they try to attack the Catholic Church and this and that and the other. I don't believe that's the picture here. It's not that I'm trying to defend anybody's religion. It's just that I don't think that's what... God is intending to get across. Mm -hmm. The mountains are really kingdoms, kingdoms or kings, either way you want to look at it. And we're going to find out that they're kings. Uh, he says, um, verse 9, the, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth, and there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. So there's a mixture of metaphors here because you've got the dragon who's the beast, then you've got the antichrist who's the beast. And one is and one is not, and perdition is destruction. So you've got more than one thing going on here. God will allow a type to have more than one meaning. Mm -hmm. The ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. So bottom line is, if Leviathan is a dragon, a seven-headed dragon, he's a picture of Satan and his empire. And in that empire, Satan has 10 kings that are going to serve him or work with him. or in, in, And they don't necessarily have to be kings of like actual kingdoms as we think of wearing a crown. They could be kings of industry, kings of technology billionaires, whatever. And then uh, the woman is a city, but 
Mystery Babylon as a city is a type of something else. I believe it's apostate Jerusalem. Others think it's another city. Some people think it's Los Angeles or New York or whatever. But he says that these 10 kings shall make war with the lamb. The lamb is a type. The lamb is a picture of Christ Yeah. because he's called the lamb of God. Mm-hmm. And the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest where the horse sitteth are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So remember last episode we were talking about the beast rising out of the sea, and I said it was a sea of humanity? Yes. Well, the sea is water. The waters are people. So the water represents humanity. And so the beast is going to be a human being rising up out of the sea of humanity to basically empower the woman. I would say he is going to found a kingdom through a principal city that's going to become the head of the economic world center. It's going to be like London or New York Stock Exchange or something. And it's very possible that Jerusalem in the future is going to be that. It's also possible that it's going to be actual Babylon, the location in Iraq, rebuilt. You know, I tend to think it's more metaphorical, but God will work it however he wants to, right? And uh, we'll learn for sure at the time. So the waters are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues, and the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore and shall make her desolate and naked and shall eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. So evidently, the woman or the city is used by the beast for him to gain power. And once he accomplishes what he needs to, which probably to me is a picture of, he'll use the city to gain economic control of the world, then he's going to conquer it and destroy it because now he's got what he wants. Mm -hmm. So she's a pawn in his thing. But what would the city, what kind of power would it need to gain economic control of everybody? And that means across languages, religions, national borders, everything. And so that's why she's called Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. I see her as a picture of all the false religions that bring mankind under her control so that she can put them in this form of bondage or taxation or whatever it's going to end up being to make her so wealthy that the Antichrist then says, okay, you've done your job. I'm through with you. I discard you and I'm going to take over. Yeah. That's the picture I'm seeing. And he says, the woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. So it's really a political picture. Leviathan has the aspect of being an actual creature that may have existed. It's a symbolic picture of Satan and the way he operates. And it's also a picture of political power that brings about the end, the coming of the Antichrist and the mark of the beast and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So that means we've got to get back to how this story ends when God comes to the rescue. We want the good guys to win, right? We're seeing all this bad stuff in Leviathan, but God is going to punish Leviathan. We've seen that much so far. So how does that happen? So now we go to the only other remaining passage we haven't read yet in the Old Testament that mentions Leviathan. It is Isaiah chapter 27 and verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great and strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. So we've already seen the sea, waters, people, multitudes, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I think this is a prophecy of when God destroys the Antichrist. It doesn't matter whether or not there was a real creature that lived and God killed him a long time ago. But the death and destruction of the Antichrist and his military defeat by the Lord is really what this is all about. Because if he's going to use the woman who rides upon him to gain economic control by uniting all the world's people and religion into to be sort of seduced by her beauty, Mm -hmm. since she's a harlot... But once they are drawn into her spell, so Mm -hmm. to speak, then he realizes, okay, I'm done with you. 
I've got to take you out of the way because I don't want you to have this worship. I want this worship. Yeah. The Antichrist, the dragon, he's ultimately after that power. All right. Now back to Revelation 12. Remember last episode, we talked about that wonder in heaven where you saw the dragon with his tail dragging the stars of heaven. You might recall in previous episodes, we talked about the coming battle between Michael and his angels and the dragon and his stars, his angels. So let's revisit those verses in chapter 12 of Revelation, verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. They're going to get kicked out. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now, there's a whole other story to go into with all that. But we can tie Leviathan into being the serpent, the piercing serpent, the crooked serpent. He's the devil. He's the dragon. He's Satan. He's the same serpent that was in the garden with Eve. Yeah. Here he is again. He's in the beginning in Genesis. He's in the end in Revelation. There's a reason. That's not accidental or coincidental, right? Now... He's here because he's going to persecute Israel. At this point in time, Israel is now God's people again. We've talked in the past about he's going to hide his face from them till they make their confession. Well, they've made it. Yeah. And the Lord is dealing with them as a people again. The national salvation program for them has been ongoing now for three and a half years. Then he gets into this power position. Satan comes down, he's cast out because of that battle in heaven with Michael. And once he's down, he realizes, oh, he doesn't have much time left. So he's going to go after the woman. It's like the Hail Mary pass. It's the desperate move to try to stop the defeat of Christ over him. Yeah. Okay. So he's going to persecute Israel down to verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens after he's cast out of heaven and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So it's like he's fallen several times now. This time it's like his last fall before he goes into the lake of fire. So he's ticked Mm -hmm. and he's desperate and a cornered animal, so to speak. So watch verse 13. When the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth... Now imagine Leviathan, a heart of stone, king of the children of pride. Nobody dares stand against him, whatever. He persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. Now we keep coming back to this man-child. Yeah. Okay. And the man-child is going to have to be its own podcast because I'm going to try to draw the connection between the birth of a nation There's something in the book of Isaiah about Israel being a nation born in a day. And there's a reference to a man-child there. And it has to do with the 144,000. It's going to tie into some of what you were brought up and and what I think they get wrong among Jehovah's Witnesses about the 144,000. But anyway, without going too far off the path here, she's being persecuted now by Leviathan, by the dragon. Now let's go back to the Psalm 74, where we talked about Leviathan being meat for the people in the wilderness. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's the 74th Psalm, verse 10. Oh God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Meaning my enemy is beating down on me, Mm -hmm. calling me names, defeating me in victory. Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? He's now speaking against you, God. So we know this adversary has got to be the Antichrist because he's the one who blasphemes heaven. Mm -hmm. Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? In other words, why aren't you helping us? Pluck it out of thy bosom. There's a picture of the right hand being here in like paintings of like um, Napoleon Mm -hmm. and other famous people back before they had photography. And they would pose with their right hand in their vest. Why is that? I think it was a picture of something. It must have meant something. Maybe it was like the one I signed. You know, maybe Maybe. there was something in it. But it seems to imply that they're at rest. They're not at war. So their right hand is not busy doing something to defeat or conquer or defend or whatever. So maybe it came from an older understanding of if your right hand was in your bosom, 
you weren't making war. And okay. they're praying, they're asking God, put your hand out, grab your sword, come protect us, come defend us. Yeah. That's the idea. So he says, pluck it out of thy bosom, for God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Thou didst divide the sea by thy strength. Thou breakest the heads of the dragons in the waters. Plural dragons. Maybe it's each one is its own little, each head of Leviathan is its own entity. You know, maybe they fight with each other or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Thou breakest the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gavest him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now, again, I've mentioned last week that people talk about uh, maybe that was how God fed the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. But we've just seen that the woman in Revelation in the future flees into the wilderness. She runs there. And that's where the dragon ends up on the earth to persecute her when Satan is cast out. And then verse 15, thou didst cleave, cut in half, the fountain and the flood. Thou driedest, driedst, that's hard to say, dried (laughs) up mighty rivers. The day is thine, the night also is thine. Thou hast prepared the light and the sun. I used to read this and think, oh, it's just poetry. There's something deeper here. So the heads of the Leviathan in pieces, being in the wilderness, a fountain and a flood and the light and the sun all on the earth, somehow come to play all of this thing in Revelation. So what happens? God feeds Israel in the wilderness. We read that last week. We're going to read it again in Revelation 12, just to remind, verse 14. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished, fed, mm-hmm. for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Well, we know who the serpent is. It's Leviathan. Yeah. It's the dragon, Satan. We know that the woman is Israel. Back in relationship, fellowship with God, the Father. And she flees into the wilderness and she's nourished. A time is a year. Times is two years. Half a time, half a year, three and a half years, Mm -hmm. the time of tribulation or the time of this part of it, right? Now, God divides the flood in Psalm 74. He said he breaks the head of Leviathan, gave it to be meat for the children in wilderness. You know, Leviathan's after her in the wilderness. She's being nourished. She's being fed. I don't know that he's killing Leviathan and giving her barbecue, you know, to eat. I don't think that's what's meant by that. It's, it's that he protects her from him and feeds her while he's trying to persecute her, while he's trying to get her. That's the idea. And then he says, God divides the flood. Now, what does that mean? Look in verse 15. She's in the wilderness. She flies on the wings of an eagle. Who knows? Is there a giant bird prepared to carry like an airplane, you know, all the believers? Or is it just symbolic of God's protective covering? She goes to the wilderness. We don't know where that is. There's a city in Jordan which is a nation near Israel. And there's a valley there, and it's actually a canyon. And in that canyon, many, many hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they built a city, carved it into the side of the canyon out of stone, out of red stone, and it's called Petra. You can look it up. There's pictures of it. And there are some that surmise that that might be where Israel's going to flee to be fed and protected by God. We don't know that, but it's just a thought. And it's just interesting that it's called Petra, which is Greek. It means rock, you know. Uh, But anyway, uh, so there she is. She's being nourished three and a half years, verse 15. And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. Well, we read about this flood and Leviathan in Psalm 74. Mm-hmm. So what could that flood be? Is it actually water? Is it an army of warriors, yeah. you know, from his Antichrist army? Uh, but it says, and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth, as in he divided the flood. Earth opened up, water's flowing along. What happens if you if the earth opens up in the middle of a river or flood, the water 
yeah. sinks back in. It cuts it in half, you know. So I'm thinking that's what this is a picture of. Psalm 74 is prophecy of God's provision to stop the Antichrist from getting to or finding his woman, his ultimately his wife, Israel, hiding in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to jump ahead too much, but this is going to somehow tie into some future podcasts we're going to do about marriage and why marriage is the way it is, why God ordained it between a man and a woman, why it's a picture of something. I want to take it out of the political realm, and I want to put it into the Bible realm. The dragon persecutes the woman. We see that, all right? Now, we'll go back to verse 17 of the same chapter, chapter 12. And the dragon, this is after the flood was released from his mouth, and God cut it and brought it into the earth. The earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood. That's not the first time God has ever opened the earth and swallowed bad people up. That's true. Yeah, he did that back in the day when there were some people that defied Moses. Verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman. Wroth means furious. Now he's beyond angry. He was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So that looks to me like he can't get to the woman. So now he's going to go after the remnant of her seed. And the remnant of her seed, if the seed of the woman is Christ, and ultimately I think it is, because it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, then the remnant of our seed are the believers in Christ. Mm-hmm. So not everybody necessarily gets into the wilderness that is a believer at this time. There could also be some Gentile believers, and there could be some other Jewish believers, and they didn't necessarily live in Israel. So the woman is located in Israel, and she flees into the wilderness. Yeah. But there's going to be believers all over the world still. It's after the rapture. It's after the body of Christ goes out. But through miracles and signs and wonders of Moses and Elijah, the two witnesses, and through the preaching of the 144,000, there's going to be others that believe and get saved. Beautiful. During the time of tribulation. But now the, the beautiful part ends when you realize that when the dragon can't get to the woman Israel, he goes after the children. Oh, no. He's going to go after the seed, and that's where he causes everybody to be beheaded if they don't take the mark. So it's going to be a, a, a lot of martyrs at that time. Now, I mentioned Genesis, so let's go all the way back there because this is where this ties back in, and this is where it's going to, I think, end, end up being a segue into marriage. But chapter 3, verse 15. Now, this is Eve talking to the serpent. Or excuse me. This is after Eve spoke to the serpent. Okay. And she took the tree, she took the fruit and ate it. And then God found out, and he's cursing the serpent first. And in verse 15, he says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, Mm -hmm. and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The serpent shall bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. That is the first prophecy of the Calvary's cross, of the death of Jesus Christ, because he would be the one that would die for the sins of the world, and that's where bruising his heel comes in. But he rose from the dead. A a bruise to the heel is not fatal. I mean, he died, but he rose again. New life, eternal life, the picture of everything in resurrection. When Satan's head is bruised, that's final. He's going down. He's going to be destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire. All right? So this picture, Satan doesn't understand who it's going to be, how it's going to happen, but he knows it's coming. So his whole thing since this time has been, how do I stop my defeat? How do I prevent that from happening? We read that Leviathan is meat to the people in the wilderness, mm-hmm. right, from, uh, from Psalm 74. So go to Revelation 19. The seed of the woman ends up being Jesus Christ. He dies, is buried, and raised again. But that's not the defeat of the bruising of the serpent. Mm-hmm. That was the bruising the heel of the seed of the woman. Okay. He comes back to destroy Leviathan. In Revelation 19, look with me in verse 20. After he comes back, we won't get into he comes on a white horse and he's the word of God and his angel army is behind him. And it says, the beast was taken, verse 20, and with him the false prophet, 
that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both, the beast and the false prophet, were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. (laughs) And the remnant of their army were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which is Jesus, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, which is his word. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So the feeding is going to be basically when the carrion birds, the vultures and the buzzards eat the carcasses of the slain of the Lord here at the end of the seven years. So Christ comes back on a white horse. The sword of his mouth is the word of God. Uh He destroys Leviathan and the armies of him, those two, the beast, and not the, the devil yet, but the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. And then the rest of their armies are slain by the Lord and their bodies become meat for the the birds for the okay. vultures, okay? And he calls it the great supper of our God. Why does he call it that? Well, because the, the birds are going to have supper. <laughs> on- Hi, we hope you're enjoying the podcast, but I want to take a moment to remind you of something very important. There are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know. And the world is fast approaching the end game, and we want to expose the coming deception before time runs out. Freedom of speech is under attack, and evil elements within governments and multinational corporations are trying to prevent you from learning the truth. Scott and I are being censored by social media platforms as we speak. This is true, so you can help us use the satanic global elite's own tools against them. Subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast so the controlled media can't shut us down. We can use our own platforms to help expose them and keep you informed, but to do that, we need your support. Help us to go full-time with Bible Mysteries. Just $7 a month gives you every current episode ad-free without these annoying appeals. You also get full access to our special guest interviews and special events, downloadable show notes, our Bible Mysteries monthly newsletter, and access to the community forum where we answer your questions. Just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to help us stop the assault on Christianity and free speech. And don't forget, you can always donate any amount to support us at utbnow.com. These gifts are tax deductible. Thanks again, and here's the show. On these actual animals, you know. But then he goes on, the very next chapter, chapter 20, verse 1 says, And I saw an angel come down from from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent. Now we got Leviathan. Okay. Which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, like put a lid on it, and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. We've talked about a thousand years, that's the kingdom of heaven realized on the earth. And then he's going to be let go for just long enough to gather together one more army and they'll be defeated at the end and God will create a new heaven and a new earth. But all this to say that it's the final end of Leviathan, the breaking of the heads of Leviathan, his army, his leaders, his generals, his 10 kings, his false prophet, the beast, everything destroyed. And then he's finally going to be thrown into the bottomless pit, the dragon himself. He is loosed a little season, but that's for one final purpose that God has, because now the kingdom will be realized. And we are going to do an episode called The Kingdom of Heaven. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about what it really means. Very few Christians fully understand the meaning of the kingdom of heaven and what it's actually about. But it's this thousand-year reign of Christ. It's a picture of the new heaven and the new earth, but it's not there yet. It's like, here's what you can have if you'll believe. Mm -hmm. Israel's restored. They're my people again. They're a priesthood. They're going out to the nations, teaching them God's law. And there's prosperity. There's no disease or sickness or whatever. Animals lay down with each other. They don't eat each other. It's all that wonderful paradise utopia that mankind is always trying to achieve. And God says, no, it's going to come through me. 
Yeah. If you want it, you can have it. Believe on Jesus Christ. Okay. And at the end of the thousand years, the devil finds so many people that want to rebel against that, that he gathers an army that outnumbers the sand of the sea. Whoa. And they do one final battle to try to take God out. And that's when God burns the whole thing up and creates a new heaven and a new earth. Now, as an epilogue, I want to use this last few verses and comments to segue into this thing about the mystery of marriage. Okay. Because it ties back to this Leviathan serpent. So we just read a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, about the seed of the woman bruising the head of the serpent. Okay. This was Satan talking to the serpent when he said those words. In the next verse, he turns his words to the woman. Now it's Eve. It's Adam's wife. But he doesn't call her Eve. He didn't call her Eve in verse 15, but the imagery between thee and the woman. If I was fussing at somebody and de- defending you, yeah. I wouldn't say, stay away from the woman. <laughs> you know, I would say, stay away from Zena. Yeah. I know you. So God knew Eve too. So when he says the woman, he's not talking about her. She's a picture of something. Yeah. All right. So we've already talked about the woman is Israel. Mm-hmm. So watch what he says in verse 16. And this is going to tie us into this whole thing about misogyny and why men are over women in many cultures and whatever. He says, unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And we read that and we take it at face value and we think, okay, that's why women have pain in childbirth and that's why their husbands are in charge. Yeah. That's not what he's talking about here. Now, there's some symbolism and there's some pictures in the marriage that we're going to delve into because it is a mystery. But here's what's happening. Unto the woman, he said. Now, we're thinking, well, he's talking to Eve. And he is. But she's the mother of all living. So she's a picture. She's a type. We find out that the woman that brings forth the seed is the same woman in Revelation 12. We're going to come back to her in just a moment. Greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. When we talked about labor and labor in the Bible, they use the word travail. I don't expect you'll remember this, but you might because you're really smart. (laughs) But do you recall us talking about travail and labor and childbirth being a picture of something in the Bible and what that is? Oh, that's a great question. You know, some of our listeners might remember, but I'm going to ask you to see if you recall it. And either way, I'm going to bring us back to the, to, to the understanding. Can I give a hint? Yes. I also said Job's troubles were a picture of this too, last week. Well, I remember Job, he never cursed God, but he always got, Lucifer kept doing bad things to him, God. That's right. And what does Lucifer do in the end of Revelation? He persecutes the woman. Oh, okay. You're right. Yeah. Right. And so we talked about time, times, and half a time, Mm -hmm. tribulation, labor, sorrow, conception is a picture of Israel in tribulation. That's right. Now, like I said, that was an obscure reference that we made in maybe one, maybe two episodes. (laughs) We've done 49 episodes. Yeah, that's a lot. So it's not like I expect anybody... (laughs) Anybody remember that, but I knew how, how smart you are. So uh, one of the things I'm thinking about is this. If the husband is God, uh-huh. the woman is Israel, mm-hmm. he divorced her. Yes. Remember in Hosea, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. What if that's not a picture of ordinary childbirth and crying and screaming push? <laughs> What if that's a picture of the birth of that nation in Revelation, and he's called the man-child? Remember that term, the man-child? I do remember that term. Okay. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Who is the true husband that Israel as a nation rejected and sent away on exile? God. God, and in particular, Jesus Christ, because he's the son of God. Mm-hmm. And, they, and he said, I'll return to my place. So he's waiting for them to make their confession. When he comes back, her desire will be to her husband. 
she didn't desire him the first time. Yeah. This time she will. And when he comes back, he's going to rule the nation with a rod of iron, the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's dig into that. Let's see if we can find some support for that. We go back to Revelation 12 because, like we said, the serpent's in the beginning, the serpent's in the end, but so is the woman. Yes. The woman's in the beginning, and the woman is in the end. So Revelation chapter 12, notice verse 1. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. How many children, how many sons did Israel have? 12. Mm -hmm. 12 tribes of Israel. And she, being with child, she's pregnant, okay. cried, sorrow, travailing in birth, conception and sorrow, and pained to be delivered, tribulation. That's when this time is. And then the next verse is, there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. There's the serpent. Yeah. And we read down to here, it says in verse four, and the dragon stood before the woman to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne and the woman fled into the wilderness. You're starting to see how this is going to tie together here. Yes. So since we've drawn the connection with Leviathan and the woman, the serpent and the woman, and the birth of the man-child, who is the man-child, right? Is A lot of people think that's the birth of Jesus. But no, this is the future passage. Jesus has already been born. Yeah. The man-child has to do with something else. And we're going to probably do a whole episode just on the man-child. Does it have to do with Israel? It does. It is. So Israel's the woman... And she's now back in a relationship with God again. Jerusalem. Well, the birth, it's actually the 144,000. Oh. They are the man-child. Okay. Because to, to make a long story very short, <laughs> we've been living in the dispensation of grace for 2,000 years, ever since Christ was rejected by the nation. He was crucified, but he rose again the third day and ascended up to the Father. He said, I'll go return to my place till they acknowledge their offense. So for 2,000 years, the woman has been without a husband. Israel, God is hiding his face from her. Yeah. But the message of salvation didn't end. It went through a man named Saul, and God changed his name to Paul, a Hebrew name to a Gentile name. And he became the apostle of the Gentiles. And he preached a message to all men, not related to Israel, but a nation that can say, a message that can save anybody from any nation, even Israel. And that is Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised again. We are that church that is in the world today. And we've been here for 2,000 years. Two days. Right? Yes. When the day's done and the Lord takes us out in the rapture, He's going to restore Israel. He's going to deal with them as a people again. He's going to woo the woman back to him. Mm -hmm. But how's he going to do that if his church has left the earth? And even if we were still here, we're Gentiles. What do we know about Judaism? What do we know about that message, yeah. the National Salvation Program of Israel? I mean, I know what it is, but I'm not qualified to preach it to a Jew, mm -hmm. right? Not at that time. He's got 144,000 men ready. Where are they going to come from? Heaven. Because those are the elders. Or... No, they're not the elders. They're those not are... the elders. 144,000 of the 12 tribes of Israel. So not the people that are up. They're not in heaven. In heaven. Okay, never yeah. mind. So they're going to be... That's a good thinking, though. I mean, you're, you're definitely thinking outside the box, yeah. but you're thinking scripturally, and that's good. So we, like, remember, we talk about we really don't know who the 24 elders are. Okay. But we know that this man-child is, uh, and, and a man-child, we find out the 144,000 are all male virgins. So I think man-child has to do with that. Okay. Because if, if a, a, a boy really isn't a man until he marries. Okay. I, I, I'm using scriptural symbolism. I realize you could be 18 and go to war and <laughs> vote and all that kind of stuff. But I, I, to, to be fair, I don't think we really mature until we've had a child. Yeah. You know, you are a pretty smart cookie. You're 20, 
23? Mm-hmm. 23 years old. So you're a pretty smart cookie. Your whole worldview is going to change if you should ever have your first child. Yeah. You know? No time soon, though. Yeah. <laughs> Not <laughs> rushing you. But I just think that, that that happens to everybody. It yeah. definitely happens to me. And anybody that's ever had a child can relate to that. I thought one way before I became a father. Mm-hmm. I thought completely differently after that. So this is going to, again, I keep pointing back into marriage. Okay. Say, and I'm not encouraging people to go get married. I'm not trying to tell you, you, you to go you find to a go mate. go out, find someone, <laughs> and marry them. So we're in Revelation 12. We see a man-child being born in tribulation by the woman, Israel. Mm-hmm. Okay. I believe it's the 144,000. They're male virgins. They're fully grown virgins. They never marry. So man-child, hence. And they're called to preach to Israel a nation, uh, 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 basically, they for, they start a new nation. Yeah. And they start preaching to get people to turn back to God. And Moses and Elijah do signs and wonders while it's happening because the Jews require a sign. Somewhere along the line, John the Baptist was preaching way back. And a bunch of Pharisees came to him, and he turned to them, and he said, Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You vipers. And he called them vipers which means they're like serpents. Mm -hmm. And they said, uh, we be Abraham's seed and have never, you know, been in bondage to any man. They were sort of bragging in their pedigree. We're the children of Abraham. And John said, he he was in the Jordan River. Yeah. And he pointed to the river where there were 12 stones buried there or put there by Joshua when the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. And he said, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Is it possible the 144,000 are going to come out of the Jordan River? That could be. How can a nation be born in a day? We're going to go into that in another episode, but I hope this is whetting somebody's appetite for that. (laughs) Now back to Revelation 12, verse 17. We read this before too. The dragon was wroth with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed to keep the commandment and which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Whoever the woman's seed is, they're believers in Jesus. Okay. Now look in chapter 19 of Revelation, verse nine. This is when Jesus comes back. He saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the lamb. Marriage supper. You know, think of the reception of the wedding, right? Yeah. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Okay. Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is right before the Lord comes back and he destroys the Antichrist and he breaks the heads of Leviathan and throws him into the lake of fire. In Zechariah chapter 12, we go all the way back to the Old Testament. There's this very interesting passage in verse 9. Zechariah 12 verse 9. It says, it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, you mentioned Jerusalem a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So that's why I said you are so on the right path because the man child is not Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is God's city. Yes. Mystery Babylon is Satan's city. Mm-hmm. So Jerusalem is going to be restored because of the man child, because of their efforts and everything else. And then uh, when the woman flees into the wilderness... The dragon goes to make war with the remnant of her seed. So all those nations in his army, God's going to seek to destroy them. And that's what we read in Revelation 12. Yeah. Verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, because now he's turned his face back to them. He's no longer hiding from them. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Who did Israel pierce? God and Jesus. Right? Yeah. Nail prints in his hands, in his feet, mm-hmm. sword and spear in his side. What was one of the names of Leviathan? The piercing serpent. Mm-hmm. He, was, he instigated that apostate Israeli mob to crucify Jesus. Okay. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. This is when he comes back. And they shall mourn for him, mourning, as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. Imagine uh, having your only child be killed. You would mourn. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You, know, you would mourn. As God the Father mourned for the son, but he, it pleased him to bruise him because he knew it was the only way men could be saved. 
Israel could have had their kingdom 2,000 years ago, but they rejected the king. He went on exile. He comes back. And when they see him, now they're the remnant of her seed. Now they believe. And they're mourning because oh, he was the one all along. We were looking for Messiah. He was right there. Yeah. We had to go through all this travail, sorrow, conception. Now our husband is coming back mm -hmm. and he will rule over us. You see the picture yes. starting to form? It's really beautiful. Now, in that day, when he comes back, there shall be a great mourning sadness in Jerusalem because of the 2,000 years that they could have been in God's favor. As the mourning of, and I can't pronounce this word, Hadad Rimon <laughs> in the valley of Megadon. So something happened by, about with Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megadon. But the valley of Megadon... In another way of saying, and take, take, that's Hebrew, so take it into the Greek and then translate Greek into the New Testament English and the word Armageddon. Ever heard of that? Yes, I have. Armageddon, right? Okay. The Valley of Megadon is Armageddon. Okay. Where does this final battle take place between Jesus and the Antichrist and his armies? The Valley of Megiddo, mm -hmm. Armageddon. The blood will be to the horse's bridle of the slain of the Lord. You know how tall a horse is. Yeah. Where the bridle and the bit goes in his mouth, right? That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of blood in the valley. Because it's a valley, the blood fills up. There's going to be that many slain. That's why the, the birds come and have the great supper. Okay. Now, one more thing. Isaiah 62. Israel had been out of God's graces. Now he's going to pour out the spirit of grace and supplication. He had been hiding his face from her. He divorced her, and he said, you're not my people. But in Isaiah 62, he says in verse 4, Thou, he's talking to Israel, the woman, Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. But thou shalt be called Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married." Hephzibah means the Lord delights, and Beulah means married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. The man-child is going to be joined back together. The remnant of her seed, thy son, is going to be joined back together in the land. And as the bridegroom, we call it the groom today, as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. There's going to be a marriage. When the Lord comes back, he's going to marry Israel back to him. Mm -hmm. Okay? She's the bride. All right? In Luke chapter 5, Jesus said these words, and this will be the last thing we talk about. Jesus was being tormented once again by Pharisees and people that didn't believe on him. The very apostate Israel that were vipers, that were the trees that will be hewn down, you know, that John said, God can raise up children out of these stones to be Abraham, right? Yeah. So they were asking him, why do your, well, let me read it. They said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often? John the Baptist had disciples, just like Jesus had disciples. And John came before Jesus, but he paved the way for Jesus. So they fasted a lot. And he says, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine disciples eat and drink. They were always trying to find some reason to criticize Jesus. Mm -hmm. So in other words, Jesus' disciples ate and drank with him, but John's disciples fasted and even the Pharisees fasted. So they're trying to say, you're not very religious, are you? You're not very devout, are you? And here's his answer, verse 34. He said unto them, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast? Think of the bride chamber as the wedding party. Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? Can you imagine a wedding reception with no food? No. <laughs> Neither can I. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. You know who the bridegroom is? It's Jesus Christ. You know who's the husband that Israel rejected? Jesus Christ. He was taken away from them. Mm 
-hmm. They crucified him. Lucifer, Leviathan, Satan was behind the whole thing. He's the piercing serpent, and he pierced Jesus. He's going to be taken away from them, but he's going to come back. And when he comes back, God's going to rejoice over Israel as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. So when we talk about the mystery of marriage, everything about marriage from the first marriage, Adam and Eve, is a picture of this. Okay. That's why it's important that we understand it in the spiritual context. So I hope you'll tune in for the next episode because we're going to talk about the mystery of marriage. That one sounds very interesting. And it's not to encourage you to run out and find a spouse. <laughs> but if you want to. <laughs> no, I think it'd be great. But uh, yeah, listen, single people, you have a wonderful role that God has to play in your life too, because it doesn't mean you're unfulfilled or you're not reaching your potential if you don't have a spouse. It means God has something planned for you that might involve marriage, but it might not. Paul never married. I might be Paul. Yeah. Jesus never married, but he will. That's true. His bride is Israel. And by extension, the rest of the world, the Gentiles, are made partakers of Israel's spiritual things. Hence, we too are going to be part of that marriage. It's beautiful. Be, it's a beautiful picture. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you guys as always. Please like, share, and subscribe, and then leave a comment down below of something that you found interesting in the podcast today. And we so much appreciate you, Zena, for all your effort into this. Thank you so much. Thank you. Don't forget to send in your questions. And by the way, we did have somebody actually send a question directly for you. Yes. I appreciate you answering that. I passed that on to them. Awesome. They were very grateful for your answer because you had an experience that I couldn't relate to. Very true. So that couldn't. And so I'm really grateful. So I want you to know that you don't just have to write your questions to me. You can write in for Zena, too. If you want to know anything about Zena, I guess, well, I mean, there's some limits. <laughs> she might not want to tell you her age or her weight or anything like that. Nah, that's fine. I don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because you're nice and fit. I don't want to tell anybody about my weight. <laughs> but anyway, just keep those questions coming. And thanks again for listening. Thank you for your support. Uh, some of you are donating. Thank you for Thank that. You. We appreciate you because that helps us to continue to make this podcast available to you. And we want to continue to do that as long as we can. Yes. Take care. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening today. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to Bible Mysteries and share it with a friend. If you want to learn more, you can go to Unlock the Bible Now. That's utbnow.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Bible Mysteries Premium Podcast. You can even gift a subscription to a friend. That's right. Remember, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com to join and help us expose the satanic global elite, or make a tax-deductible donation at utbnow.com. We need your help to fight the global censorship of the truth. Thanks for your support.